We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. And today we get to welcome in a special guest, joining us for the second time on Big Blue Banter. Last year we did it pre-draft. This year I thought it might be a little bit more fun to do it post-draft and get his feelings on the Giants draft overall and other drafts as well. For those of you who can see watching on YouTube, I am not recording from my normal studio at home. I am at a hotel room, so bear with me there. But other than that, everything should go smoothly and as normal according to plan so first thing i want to ask you john and get you started here what were your overall thoughts we're not going to make you do a grade because that's nobody likes to do grades but what, what were your overall thoughts on the giants draft class and more importantly like the strategy they use to kind of get aggressive and trade up for their guys hey look i think um you have to be happy with how everything played out and i think some of it's luck right um where they just the guys that they needed at the positions of need happened to drop to where they were. Like you can easily say Joe Shane did great, you know, but what happens if Washington takes Christian Gonzalez and the Patriots take um, Deontay Banks, then all of a sudden Joe Shane didn't do great because the guy just didn't happen to get to it, which he had no control over. Right. So I, I, I think some of this is luck. Um, I think that fell in the giants favor. Uh, second round. I, I never liked the idea of the center in round one. I didn't think that was something the giants would do. It's not a premium position. And I thought you could get, one of those two guys, and I like Whipler. I don't know how he lasted as, as far as he did. Um, lasted in round two. And then, look, they trade up for Jalen Hyatt in round three. I did not have a first-round grade on him. I know other people did. I had a more of a, a second-round type player just because I thought, in a, you know, besides the speed, he had a lot, a lot of work to do on his craft. So I think the draft gods looked favorably upon the Giants, and then I think Joe Shane did what he had to do. Look, I don't care about trading – picks in rounds five through seven because odds are the guys you're getting in those rounds are going to be either not make the team in, in round seven, maybe be practice squad guy or be a special teams player. Uh, yeah. Does you know, rare year. Do you get a great player in round five? Sure. But it, it's so rare that, you know, if that's what you have to do to move up one spot to, to get a guy that you think is a premium player at a premium position, go and do it. Trading that fourth round pick is a little bit more painful because I do think, you can find good players in the fourth round. But I do think, generally speaking, there's a drop-off in the middle of the round, and the Giants obviously are towards the bottom of that fourth round. So that wasn't quite as painful for me. But I think for a guy like Hyatt in a draft where there weren't that many guys that fit the type of role that I wanted the Giants to add in the wide receiver room, I thought it was definitely worth the price of admission. There were so many small slot guys. I didn't want to add another one of these five to nine receivers. And there just weren't that many Bigger guys, and not that Hyatt's a big guy, right? He's only 175 pounds, but he is over six foot. But he can play outside. He's an outside receiver. So I, I thought for that reason it was worth it. Um, the only other guy that was really around at that point to to, to draft was uh, A.T. Perry, and he ended up dropping to like round six. Another guy I was confused of why he dropped so far. But I thought overall um, uh, need met value. And, again, some of that is Joe Shane being aggressive, which is great. The other part of that is Locke. So – Check all the boxes, and that's how you get a good draft. John, thanks for joining us. And I actually have that in my notes, the perfect collision of need and value with the New York Giants. But you are correct. There was a little bit of luck there because if Deontay Banks does go to New England and then Gonzalez goes to Washington, maybe Emmanuel Forbes ends up falling to the New York Giants. And I wanted to ask you if that scenario played out and then those receivers started coming off the board like they did, do you think Joe Shane would have got aggressive, tried to trade up? 
or would have sat there or possibly trade back? Do you think they would have been interested in a player like Emmanuel Forbes? What do you think would have happened if that scenario that you discussed earlier actually played out for Joe Shane? Yeah, I don't know where Forbes was on their draft board, but I do know this. The Giants wanted to draft a big physical press man corner, and that's not Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, he's a good player. I like this tape, but I think the same reason Washington selected him because he's a zone corner that's really good at reading the quarterback and making plays on the football is the same reason the Giants wouldn't have because they played two completely different schemes. So uh, if Banks isn't there, I think they're looking probably at, at one of those wideouts or one of the, uh, you know, in that spot or, and, you know, then do they move up even further during that wide receiver run to grab one of those guys? Can they? Maybe one of those teams says, look, we want one of these wide receivers. We're not going to move up with you. And then if that happens, do you start considering, do the Giants take Dalton Kincaid? Do the Giants take Michael Mayer uh, as a pass-catching weapon to complement what they already have? You know, I think that's kind of what you'd be looking at there because I do think, in addition to that corner, uh, the number one goal of this draft was, was to help the quarterback and give him more weapons and an ability to make plays. So uh, if Banks wasn't there, I think you're probably looking at, at, at more of a pass-catcher would be my guess. And looking at just Banks' profile, it's interesting that you mentioned they really wanted that big physical corner with speed, obviously, for recovery, but who can play press man. I'm looking at the rest of the class, and I'm like, I don't even know if they didn't get Banks who would have really fit that bill. Like, Julius Brent is a bigger corner. I don't know if he's a big physical corner. I like DJ Turner a lot out of Michigan, but he's a small corner, so he doesn't fit that billing either. So it really feels fortunate to me that they get they had the opportunity to get Banks. And I've actually heard that they had something lined up. This is all speculation, but I've heard they had something lined up with the Bills where, look, if none of their guys were still there, they were willing to let the Bills, and obviously we know Joe Shane and Brandon Bean have a relationship, trade up with them potentially to get ahead of the Cowboys, to get their guy the tight end. And then I actually think, and this is just this speculation, I think they would have taken John Michael Schmitz potentially if they were in that spot after moving back and there was just nothing left on the board that fits the billing you said, either at receiver or corner. And that, so in that, if that was the case, I feel like they kind of maybe, like you said, lucked out, but really uh, were fortunate in that regard. You remember there were other teams looking to move up into the back end of that first round too. So maybe it's not a move with the bills. Maybe it's a move into the start of the second round. And then you target one of the centers in that spot, right? And you pick up extra picks that way, you know, other press man corners is interesting. Yeah, you're right. Brent's to me, he was, he had all the physical traits as a, as a press man corner, but I don't think he was to your point a physical corner in college. He played mostly from off in, in that defense. I think Darius rush who ended up going to the fifth round, uh, I think he could have been a third round selection as the, for the Giants as someone that could be a big physical or fourth round, big physical corner that can press and, and do that sort of thing. Uh, I think he would have fit that. You know, Cam Smith, I don't know how the Giants looked at his off the field stuff. And a lot of teams were kind of scared off by that. He's another guy that I think would would kind of fit that profile. I'm just trying to think of the guys on my rankings. If there's anyone else that would fit that profile for me, probably Probably not. I don't. Maybe I don't Steven know what they. I don't know right. what they felt about Keely Ringo. I mean, Keely Ringo has the traits for it, but obviously there are issues with this tape. So, um, Terrell Smith was a good, I think, potential press man guy, but he's a guy. I think he lasted to the fifth or sixth round, right, or something like that. Right. So, yeah, if you wanted a plug and play type guy, because I think Darius Rush is a little bit of a project because he only moved to corner a couple years ago. As much as I like the how he played the Senior Bowl and his traits, uh, if you wanted that guy to come in right away that's why i think the corner was a priority over the receiver in round one because you feel like you can get a receiver later probably a better shot of that than getting a guy you can plug and play at corner especially yep. when you end up getting jalen hyatt and trading up to acquire him in the third round it's just kind of crazy that the giants legit had so many draft pundits mocking john michael schmitz jalen hyatt and deontay banks to them at 25 and they were able to Get all three of those guys. I wanted to ask you one question, though, about John Michael Schmitz versus Joe Tippman, something Dan and I have discussed a lot. I had John Michael Schmitz higher than Joe Tippman, but I did also believe Joe Tippman might fit Bobby Johnson, Mike Kafka's offense a little bit better because if, go back, especially in the beginning of the season, how much power gap they ran. That fits Joe Tippman's game a lot better than, let's say, John Michael Schmitz because Wisconsin ran plays just for Joe Tippman to get out on the edge. Do you think the Giants, if they had their druthers, between John Michael Schmitz and Joe Tittman would have leaned Joe Tittman's direction? Or do you think Bobby Johnson's love for John Michael Schmitz just kind of really secured him as center one for the Giants? Yeah, Sean O'Hara and I had this discussion on the Giants on a podcast about a week before the draft. And, you know, the thing about the Giants rushing attack is that it's very varied and they basically run everything. I mean, they're not an outside zone team. They're not a power gap team. They will run everything depending on matchup 
uh, who the offensive linemen are that are healthy and in the game. So I don't think the player they would have picked would have been scheme specific because I think the Giants have a very varied offense. They want to be able to run all that stuff. Uh, you're right. They do pull Tittman a lot in that Wisconsin offense and a lot of gap scheme stuff. And Schmitz, even though his athletic testing wouldn't indicate it, he actually is a pretty good outside zone blocker. There's a lot of reach blocks on his tape that are really, really good. Um, but I do think that Schmitz, in my opinion, in terms of the point of the attack, is maybe a little bit more of a rugged player than Tittman is. Tittman can get a little bit high. I think he's a better athlete. But I think Schmitz, I had him a little higher on my board myself. I had Schmitz as, as a flat-out two. I think I had Tittman as a 2-3 as a on my board. Not, not too much distance between them. Uh, I think the Giants would have favored Schmitz. And I frankly, I think a part of it is that I think the reason Tippmann was favored by more teams is that people thought he could flex more, do guard and center, right? Because, you know, and his, and his general athleticism advantage. I think the Giants just, you know, I think they preferred to get a guy that played a ton of snaps at center. I remember, I think in this case, being an older prospect actually helped Schmitz, being 24 and a half years old, spending six years in Minnesota, over 2,000 snaps as a center, almost 2,500 if, 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 if memory serves me correctly. And I think that helps him because they feel like he's a guy that can understand the calls. He made all the calls from Minnesota's line, and he can plug in right away, and there's not going to be a ton of development there because he has so, so much experience in college. I really like that because I was going to ask you, and, I, and you kind of answered it right there so we don't need to get into it because I, I think a lot of Giants fans saw the John Michael Schmitz pick, and especially after what Philadelphia and Dallas did in round one, and, they're just, and they looked at it as like, this is a home run because we really need interior offensive line help. But I wanted to get your actual opinion of him as a player because sometimes you could just look at these things on paper and be like, we got the interior offensive lineman, we got the corner, we got the right receiver, this is amazing. But I feel like from your evaluation, it, it does feel like this, they also got a really good player here in John Michael Schmitz. I'll say this. I think high seal, I think high floor, right? I think that's the first thing you start with. He's going to be here. He's going to be solid. He's smart. He's going to handle stunts and twists. He's going to do all that stuff well. He'll fit in. He's a right personality, smart player, like I said, experienced. You know, I don't know if you have that because he's not the biggest frame guy, so I don't think he's ever going to be, be your, like, big drive blocker. And he's not a great athlete, so I don't think, you know, you don't check that box either. So I don't know if there's an all-pro ceiling here. But, look – I think you're, you're picking a center in, in the second round. If you get a, a guy that you can get on a second contract and be your starter for, for, for two contracts, I, I think that's a win. Yeah, I think if you take him in round one, maybe you could say if he's not all pro potential, it's not a win. But in round two, that you're not you don't need to find all pro players. There's not 50 all pro players in a draft class, right? So yeah. I think that's interesting. I want to ask you before we get into the actual evaluation and your thoughts on high end and get a little more details on that, I want to ask you a couple of details on the actual decision to trade up. So two things I heard during this draft broadcast that I want to bring up and then get your thoughts on. The first was from Daniel Jeremiah, where he said, in this specific draft class more than others, what he had heard from NFL teams was that it thinned out a lot sooner than later. So normally where you'd have good value picks or still players people like in the hundreds range and maybe up to 120 overall, he felt like from what he heard from teams, that really thinned out uh, closer to the 80 to 100 range. So one, do you think that played a role in Joe Sheen's decision, not only to trade up from 89 to 73 in the sense that, okay, maybe if I sit at 89, I don't get any, I get a real big drop off here. But also if I'm giving up 128, I'm not as worried about giving it up now in this draft class as I would be in other classes. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think it goes to the to the point that kind of we we talked about a lot on our, on our draft coverage over the year on Giants.com that it wasn't a great draft. I mean, it, it, you know, at the top, you ran out of blue chip prospects very quickly. Uh, we kind of said that once you got past pick fifteen or sixteen in the first round, there's going to be a lot of surprises, and I think there were in terms of guys that went earlier than some people thought, and other guys that went later than people thought, and it just really wasn't that deep of a class. Now, I do think there were. A position or two that went deeper. I think running back went pretty deep to, you know, Eric Gray in the fifth round. I thought that was a great value. Um, you know, Chase Brown in the fifth round. I think he's going to be the Bengals starting running back in a year or two. I think he's a really good player. Um, but I think other positions, it was rough. Like you look at the defensive line. I think that dried up real fast. Linebacker was never deep to begin with. Safety. I mean, Antonio Johnson went in the fifth round. That I think that's really good value there. But he's more of a box guy. I don't think you had a lot of really good, you know, you know, rangy coverage safeties that were going to go uh, on, on day three. So I think once you got past that very early fourth round where you saw some of those teams trade up for some of those guys that were left at the start of day three, I think it did drive very quickly. And then you go back, I think there was a run too uh, in the middle of the third round. You had uh, the Josh Downs in the world go off the board and you had a couple other guys around that same area where, yeah, I think the, the you know, guys with, typical top 100 grades was probably done at 80 rather than 100 in this particular draft. 
I think it made sense for Joe Shane to trade up because if I'm not mistaken, Tank Dell and Marvin Mims were both selected before Jalen Hyatt. So yep. we know the Giants Giants had Marvin Mims in for a top 30 visit. There seems to be a connection between Marvin Mims and the New York Giants. He goes off the board and everything that Dan just said, I think it's very accurate. That prompted Joe Shane to get aggressive, to get the guy who can really add that explosive element to this offense that ranked dead last in explosive plays last year. So John, I just want to ask you, what is your overall evaluation, your overall feel for the Tennessee wide receiver, the 2022 Bolitnikoff Award winner, Jalen Hyatt? Yeah, you know, I, like I said earlier, I, I had Hyatt as, as a second-round guy. Um, and I think what we saw with all the Tennessee offensive players this year, they all went a little bit later than people thought, quite frankly, because I think people don't know how that offense is going to translate to the NFL. And I think that's why he got to where he went. Because if you watch him on tape, and if fans don't want to sit here and go back and take, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes and watch a bunch of all 22, just watch his highlights. And his highlights are him not getting pressed at the line of scrimmage, either running in a straight line or running a post and just running past people. You know, that, that's 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 what his tape is. And the highlights, I think, are pretty similar to what the all 22 looks like, too. And again, this is not Jalen Howitt's fault. That's this, that's not to say he can't do more than that. He just wasn't asked to do more than that in that offense. So, you know, he lined up in the slot a lot. They put him in motion a lot. They stacked him behind the outside receiver a lot. So teams could not press him. And at 175 pounds, what happens if he gets pressed all on the NFL? I don't know. We didn't see it enough. I don't know. He could be great at it, but no idea. And NFL teams aren't going to have an idea either, especially at that weight. And then with, you know, that old Baylor or Bryles offense that, that Tennessee ran and again, great college offense is not a knock at Tennessee. I'd run that offense too. If you could put up 50 points on Alabama, <laughs> I mean, I think it worked pretty well. Right. So, you know, you're basically running flies, flags, posts, slants, and digs. And those are the five rounds you're running. Right. And you're not doing a lot of, you know, change of direction stuff. So how is Jay and Hyatt going to be with start stop and, and, you know, route tree and, and just creating separation at the stem of the route, play strength. I think he tracked the ball fairly well. I don't think he was elite at contested catches, but I thought he was pretty good at it. So I think those are the questions with him. So I think the good thing is that with the way the Giants wide receiver core is set up, you don't need him to step in and, and be your number one right away. You bring him in, you set a role for him, be a guy that stretches the field, clear out that safety for Dallin Waller running those endless 15 to 20 yard crossing routes across the field. Uh, for Isaiah Hodgins sitting down in the middle of that zone. And you'll be amazed at how wide open the middle of the field becomes when one of those safeties have to stay over the top on Jalen Hyatt because he's so fast and you can't trust a corner to be out there by himself. So uh, as much as some big plays, to your point, and the Giants desperately need to get more explosive plays this year, and I think you know Joe Shane basically said as much. He wanted to you know, make the team faster, and Brian Dable said the same thing. You know The impact he's going to have on these deeper intermediate routes I think will maybe even be more important than the big plays down the field he makes himself. Yeah, I love what you just said there, John, because we feel the same way, Nick and I. We feel like almost have it, just having him on the field is going to change everything else for the rest of the defense. We've been saying it since last year. I mean, you watch the tape of last year, and there was literally only one player on the entire Giants roster who corners played 10 yards off the ball against, and it was Darius Slayton. The rest of them, they just didn't. And that's going to be a player they're going to have to do that with Jalen. And I wonder if expectations-wise, as far as year one goes, we have such a good coaching staff in place because there were so many times last year we're running stacks and we're giving the free releases to receivers toward the end of the year. I mean, when we kind of opened up, when the Giants kind of opened up the offense, sometimes I do the Wii thing by mistake, uh, when the Giants kind of opened up the offense there. So I wonder if he can get on the field sooner or later. Like you said, though, it is really just a pure projection. We don't know that he can't do it. Just because he didn't face press in college doesn't mean he can't. Um, and I want to ask you a question on those three big picks right now. As far as expectations go for year one, a lot of fans have been asking us about this because I think in past classes, the expectation is not that they've been lower, but the Giants haven't really been as aggressive to get their guys at the premium positions they need. And so, you know, some guys were coming in a, a lot slower, like Josh Zou, who played some last year, didn't play every snap. Same thing goes for Cordell Flott. Even Wondell Robinson, his role really didn't grow that much until the very end, unfortunately, where he had the breakout game and then got hurt. But as far as these big three goes, what are your expectations for year one as far as playing time goes? I mean, I would expect Deontay Banks and John Michael Schmitz to be the outright starters. I mean, I would expect them to be, you know, 90%, 100% for Schmitz, 100% for Deontay Banks, 90% of the snaps. Uh, I mean, we just don't know who that other outside cornerback is now. Could a guy like Nick McLeod or Amari Oruare keep him off the field early in the year? Maybe Cordell Flock comes out there and has a great, you know, off season and he, he takes the job. But I think 
that'll be a disappointment if he does. I think you're, you're drafting Banks with the goal that he's going to win that spot. And I think based on what he was asked to do in Maryland, which is basically what they're going to ask him to do here in terms of playing press man and his athletic traits, I think you hope that he can do it. So I think I would expect those two guys to be starters. And I think they're going to have a, a larger rotation at wide receiver that I think a lot of people probably think. They really threw numbers at the problem this offseason at wide receiver. You know, we don't know what Wandell Robinson and Sterling Shepard's health is going to be to start the year, but if they're healthy, you have those two guys, Paris Campbell, Darius Slayton, Jalen Hyatt, uh, Isaiah Hodgins, all probably think they deserve to get snaps and probably to an extent based on what we saw, they all do deserve to get some level of snaps, right? So I think you're going to see um, snaps get split up a little bit. We saw what Mike Kafka kind of did that in Kansas City, right? Other than Tyree Kill, they kind of rotated that second, third wide receiver a lot, whether it's Hardman or whomever else they had on, on the roster, you know, for those couple of years. So that would be my guess. Uh, but I think you have guys in certain roles. And I think, you know, I, I like to build a, a basketball team at, at wide receiver, right? You want guys of different shapes and sizes with, with different skill sets. And I was a little worried that the Giants would get stuck and they're staring at Zay Flowers at the first round where it'd be a good value pick. But, I mean, Zay Flowers is very similar to Wondell Robinson. And I don't know if you want two of those guys running around. Well, Jane Hyatt might be 175 pounds, but he's not that. So I do think they added a compliment to Darius Slayton, who's basically on a one-year deal. Um, and he's your deep threat. And I think every NFL offense needs a player like that. Now, down the road, I do think the Giants eventually still need to add that three-level route runner. Because right now, I think it's Darren Waller. And he's their kind of do-everything receiving threat with health over 30. You know, how long can you depend on that? So I do think eventually they have to add a receiver. That can do all those things, but I think for now, with where they have Hyatt, he can certainly play that role along with Slayton, and I don't think they're just going to bury Slayton. I think both of them will see the field, and I think they'll kind of work it that way. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, John, how do you feel about Eric Gray? Because he's a player that, Dan, we didn't discuss too much on the podcast, but I came across this film just through watching Marvin Mims. And while he lacks deep speed, the home run ability, he makes up for all of that with his instincts and his short area athletic ability. So I wanted to get your opinion on Eric Gray. And do you think he can carve out a role here in year one behind Saquon Barkley? Yeah, he's not explosive in, in, in the traditional sense, right, where he's going to go run a, a great 40-yard dash time and he blows by people and he runs through people. But you mentioned it. His change of direction and short air quickness is phenomenal. I mean, when you go through that tape, he gets guys in open field. He doesn't just make a miss. He'll spin them around. Like, he, the way he can kind of, you know, do that little jump cut, change direction, fake one way, go the other, he's just really shifty. And that's the first thing that jumped out to me. You know, he's shorter, so he's kind of got that low center of gravity, which I think gives him really good balance, which allows him to do those sort of things. Not the most powerful runner, but he, but he, but he can run through late tackles again, I think, uh, arm tackles again, I think it's because of that low center of gravity. I think most importantly, I think what you, you like what you see in the passing game, you know, 
can he hold up against some of the bigger guys in pass pro? I think that's an issue, but he tries and he's willing to do it, which I think is the most important thing. And he'll figure the rest out through good coaching and, and technique at the NFL level. But he's a good route runner. He's got natural hands. He catches the ball. He gets upfield right away. And I know Saquon Barkley is considered by a lot of people as a weapon, but he's never been, a, at least from what I've seen as time with the Giants, he's not as natural of a pass catcher as I would want him to be. And I think Gray is a really natural pass catcher. Like He catches the ball and turns upfield immediately like a wide receiver. Well, I think Barkley sometimes has to look the ball in a little bit more. We saw some drops last year on some plays. Again, I think he's a great weapon out of the back of those receiver, but I, it just looks like Gray is a little bit more natural doing that than Barkley is. So I think he can carve out a little bit of a third down role depending on, on the situation there and when or if you want to try to get Saquon some snaps off the field. I love that because, yeah, just two drop passes, according to Pro Football Focus, on his last 90 catchable targets. And, you know, sometimes you see these guys with big hands and it doesn't actually translate because they're dropping a lot of passes, but it actually translates for Gray. Like, he's got natural hands, like you said, and I agree. He kind of has that transition. It's hard to quantify, but that ability to just catch and transition upfield without losing much ground and without losing much, I guess, space and speed. I want to ask you real quick about the three picks after that. The and by the way, Dan, real quick, you can put him and Barkley on the field at the same time, right? Same way they used Breda last year. And I think Barkley's receiving ability even gives you more options if you put those guys on the field at the same time. So using them in motion and stuff like that. Go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. Yeah, John, I just wanted to ask you, how do you see that running back room shaping up? Because it seems like they bring back Matt Breda. You have Barkley, that whole situation. Let's assume that he is here this year. Now you add Eric Gray and you still have Gary Brightwell, who a lot of us wrote off last year, but he was pretty impressive when he received the football, has special teams value. Deshaun Corbin was on the practice squad, the Florida State kid. How do you see that entire situation kind of playing out this year? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's going to be a real battle. This is what Howard Cross and I were talking about this the other day on, on Big Blue Kickoff. And, you know, Howard said wide receiver and running back for him are two position groups that he thinks is really going to be serious competition this offseason. I think he's right. You know, Corbin showed some stuff in the summer. I think Brightwell is excellent on special teams. He's like the only, I think, kind of guy that can pound it between the tackles uh, yeah. of the group. So I think he brings some value there. I don't think, I think they like Breda. I don't, he's a good locker room guy. He's fast. I don't think he's going anywhere. So how are they going to split all that up? I think it's going to be determined by health. And I think it's going to be determined by how guys do in the summer, to be honest with you. So, if I had to guess, I think you'd have three of them active on game days. My guess it would be Barkley, Brita, and Gray. You know, and maybe Brightwell can squeeze his way in there if if he has a huge core special teams role, depending on what other core special teamers they keep. Uh, but I can't imagine they would on the offense they would use more than three backs in, in any sort of serious role in an individual game. And that question by you, Nick, and that answer by John is one of the reasons why I'm actually really happy. The Giant, even though I like the idea of it, especially with our coaching staff in place, with the Giants coaching staff in place, I'm actually happy they didn't invest in a in a developmental quarterback because I don't know if they have the roster space to carry three on game day. And so now, you know, carrying only two, that's going to give them the opportunity to maybe add an extra running back like Brightwell because of his special teams value. I want to ask you real quick about the the three picks uh, on on day three, three other picks on day three, and then I want to get to a few more questions like Nick asked because I am curious to get your takes on the actual roster, how it's going to shake out because some position groups got a sure. lot more crowded, and um and some players we really liked on tape. You brought up one Breida, like it's not just the speed with Breida, man. We, some of the plays he made on those third and shorts, those were tough plays, and those were smart, savvy plays, and like you know the coaching staff loves that. But about the three picks, uh, the the, the sixth and the two sevens now. Something I thought was interesting there is all three picks are bet on traits picks. Now, some people might think of Riley, the seventh round pick, and be like, how is that a bet on traits pick? I've seen his RAS score. It doesn't look like it. But that's not the traits we're looking at. If you listen size to is traits, dude. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Size, length, and arm. Yeah, size and arm like are traits, especially when you hear Joe Shane say, I asked Wink what he, you know, I didn't ask him right now, but he knows what Winks wants in a defensive lineman, and he wants to pop back, and he wants the length and the size. So all three are better on traits picks, but one question I want to ask you, 30,000-foot view, since you've, you've followed football for a long time, you covered the Giants for a while as well. When you get to day three, so there's two camps from what I've heard. There's the bet on traits camp, and then there's the bet on production camp and the bet on film camp. What camp are you more along the lines of? Are you more of the bet on traits and see if your coaching staff can mold them or try to find these guys that are super productive and they just, you know, are falling for some reason in the draft? I'm more in the bet on traits camp because I think you have to trust your coaching staff to, to mold some clay sometimes. And I think, you know, it's relatively easy to look at a player in college and understand what he's able to do now. And I think it takes more of a vision to see what they can become. So I think while that might be a little bit riskier, I think, 
you know, I, I, I level of risk in rounds five through seven doesn't bother me because if even if you draft some guy that's productive, but he's still there in round five, well, he's still there in round five for a reason. And he's probably not going to be more than a special teams player. So for me, I'm willing to, to risk missing out on guys like that. That can be your, you know, sixth cornerback and play specials. Like I can find that guy. Um, but I would much rather take a roll of the dice than a guy that ran a good 40 is long, but has, you know, very little idea of what he's doing in terms of technique and hope my cornerback coach can coach him up over a couple years. You have the expanded practice squad now, so you can kind of, you know, stack guys and store them and develop them more than you can in years past. So uh, I'm on the more bet on traits guy, but look, if you're sitting there and there's a huge outlier with production, I still think that's kind of a, a betting on, on value type of situation. But if I had my choice, I would rather bet on traits than production in those late round spots. So you're talking about Trey Hawkins, the third out of Old Dominion then, because <laughs> he is a long physical. He hits with the hammer of Thor. He has some of the most impressive hits I've ever seen on tape. Dan, I like what you got going on in the background right over there. But <laughs> what do you think of his potential? And there are mistakes. He struggled with speed specifically against or Appalachian State and Georgia State. But other than that, in terms of just getting him with Jerome Henderson, I think there's a lot of upside there with a player like that. Yeah, ran a 4-4 flat at the pro day, um, almost 6-2 long. And I think, you know, he's a guy that's willing to be physical too. So I think you kind of put all that together and you say, yeah, let Jerome Henderson and Wink get their hands on him and mold him. And look, there's a reason that he was there in the seventh round, even with those traits. And that's because, like you said, on film, there are some things that, that need correction. But yeah, I, I think that's the exact type of guy you roll the dice on. And I think same, same, same for the big tackle out of Oregon. Where, and Joe Shane said in his press conference, and look, I hate to be reductive and make it this simple, but guys that size just aren't there in the seventh round usually. They're just not. So pick the guy who has traits that's normally not on the board at that time and, and, and see what you can do. And I think, you know, the, the, the Owens, the, the safety out of Houston, the final pick, that to me is a guy where maybe they went a little bit more on experience and production. His traits were good. But I think he's a guy that helped on specials right away. You know, they do have some unknowns at safety, you know, uh, since they lost Julian Love, you know, Pinnock, Felton, what do you think of those guys after the McKinney? So you get somebody in there that can kind of be that third or fourth safety, be a special teamer. But he also had some, you know, pretty good testing too. So I think those, when you look at those three guys, that's what you look at. And, you know, when, when you look at the corner, look, you're looking for guys that have traits that can play press man. I mean, I, let's just keep it simple as it is. When you're that big and you're that fast, you can also play specials. So if he's willing to be physical, a guy that's 6'2 and runs a 4'4 and weighs 200 pounds, that's a gunner. Like, that could be a really good gunner on special teams if he's willing to do it. So yeah. that's why I like to bet on traits things, because what you're looking for, for with, with special teams players are guys that are big and fast. That's what you want. So I think you kind of check both boxes if you go for traits. One interesting note on all three of them, they were all Juco at one point. Riley went to North Carolina and then he left, went to Juco. Trey Hawkins started at Juco. Owens, he went to um, a power five school, I think, or he signed initially with Kansas or Kansas State and then ended up going Juco and then ended up signing with Houston. So I just thought that was an interesting little note because I don't really remember a, a general manager of the New York Giants selecting three Juco products, even at the back end of the draft like that. And I like, I like kids that have to go through Juco because I feel like they're not going to be spoiled. You know, if, if you go to one of these Juco programs, you know how to, you know, make out a lot of a little because, you know, Juco programs are not rolling in dough here. And you have to earn your way up from that Juco program back into the, you know, Division One. So I think there is something about those Juco kids because they really have to earn their way uh, for everything they get because they're not handed anything. Yeah, I like that take a lot. I also like how a lot of these players the Giants drafted this year, including, um, you know, picks throughout day one, two, and three were players that they've visited with and players they spend extra time with. I'm not, you know, we don't need to name any names, but over the past few regimes before this, there were some players that they didn't spend as much time with. And those players didn't exactly, you know, fit what they wanted culture wise. And, and they didn't really make it with the giants. So I feel like when you take that extra time, you have a much better chance of having them work out because you know what you're getting there. I want to ask you a little bit about some players on the roster though, before the draft, John, I want to, one thing specifically you mentioned with the wide receiver room and how you like building like a basketball team with all different shapes and sizes, which I like too. And there's going to be a great rotation because when you first ran through it, we ran through a lot of names who could play. We didn't even mention Darius Slayton, who's going to play as well. He was just resigned. 
And then you mentioned him a little bit later. And then even Jameson Crowder, I'm still a little intrigued by. I know everyone's written him off, but I know I know that he has the skill set that fits what they like in their system. So we'll see what happens there, but just a name to keep in mind. But I want to ask you how this all impacts a player who Nick and I just fell in love with this film last year. We felt like he was much better on tape than people realized, even on some of the routes that he ran on the vertical plane that he didn't get the ball. Maybe, you know, the read was another way and it didn't come to him. He got open. And especially toward the end of the season, that's Daniel Bellinger, a player who we loved last year on film. Now what happens with him now the giants have made the move for Darren Waller, but also added all these receivers, which leads us to me believe maybe they'll play a little bit more 11 personnel. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good question. Now, they can almost play 12 personnel and still, you know, run formations like they're on 11, right? Because right. Darren Waller is basically a receiver. I know people said that about Evan Ingram, and that was kind of a pet peeve of mine because Evan Ingram was not like a wide receiver because he did not change direction well enough and create separation at the top of his routes. He was a straight line athlete. He wasn't a change of direction athlete. Waller, on the other hand, is a fluid change of direction athlete. He's a guy that you can line up ISOed even on a, a safety or a corner outside and he can separate and, and make plays. So I do think there are more opportunities here to, to run quote unquote 12 personnel, but you still show 11 because you can run Waller as, I mean, I bet, I bet you we will see Waller lined up as their X receiver a lot more than people think this year, because I think he's more so than any actual receiver on the roster has the skill set necessary to succeed as a quote-unquote X receiver. So uh, I think you will see more 12 as I do think they like Bellinger. I, I don't think Bellinger is necessarily yet a, a change of direction guy that's going to, you know, you're going to run on those kind of ISO Y option routes that the Cowboys used to run Jason Witten on where he changes direction and stuff. But they did a great job of scheming things up for him, and they got him in mismatch on linebackers, you know, uh, Got the defense flowing one way, he would flow the other. You know, things of that nature. I think that's where he's he's useful as a true Y. So he's their Y tight end. Waller's their move tight end. And I think that's how they're going to use it. And that's why I think Waller was such an interesting addition because he does allow you to really show the defense one thing with personnel. But then you could do whatever you want formationally in terms of setting up how you want to run these plays. So I think for an offense that likes to be creative and has two creative minds in Dable and Kafka, it's just another weapon for them to really do different things, I think, to show the defense different looks and maybe throw them back on their heels a little bit. When Kafka was with the Chiefs, he used a lot of three-by-one formations with Travis Kelsey as the X, the backside X. We're going to see a lot of that with Darren Waller. And what did they do with Tyreek Hill? They put Tyreek Hill as the number three to the front side. That's going to be Jalen Hyatt. And you're going to have Isaiah Hodgins or Darius Slayton on the outside with Wando Robinson as the number two. We're going to see a lot of those types of formations. And I'm really excited about that. And as for Daniel Bellinger, I wanted to get your opinion on this, John. Around the Colts game, I think it was last year, we started seeing Daniel Bellinger align in the backfield. And I think we might have even saw it in the first Vikings game. I think you might see some formations where it's technically 12 personnel, but it's going to look like 21 personnel with Daniel Bellinger acting somewhat as a fullback who's releasing out into routes. I think that's going to be another type of offensive package we're going to see expanded this season. Hey, and you know what? You can even say technically they're in 12 personnel. It could look like 20 personnel, right? Where you have the two guys in the backfield and Waller split out as a receiver and you don't have any tight end lined up on the line of scrimmage. So that that's another, again, a creative way to use formations to try to throw those defenses off. And you mentioned those two plays with Bellinger. I think it was the exact same play where they ran play action on uh, either power or counter, I forget which one, and Bellinger's the lead blocker. He goes, runs the route, and he's wide open. He gained more than 20 yards on both plays. I think you're right. I think it was Colts and Vikings were the two games they ran to play on. And, yeah, I, I look, I think Bellinger's a useful player, which is why I struggled picking a tight end in the first round as much as I loved this tight end class, and I really did. But I felt like if you grab the Michael Mayer, it kind of erases Bellinger's role, and I would hate to just kind of take that draft pick, you know, crumple it up and, and almost throw it away. Not that, you know, it, it's Bellinger's fault, but, you know, just how do you use all those guys? The same way I was hesitant. Do you, dra do you draft the Zay Flowers? Do you draft uh, a Josh Downs? Because then do you take your third-round pick last year and say, well, how are you going to use Wanda Robinson then? Right. So that's why I struggled with it because I do think Bellinger showed to be a darn good blocker last year. I, I think he was – and that makes sense. Look, that's what was his main role was at San Diego State. I was expecting him to, to be a good blocker. But he was better than even I thought. Because a lot of times rookie blockers even struggle in their first year. I thought he was very, very good. And again, they used him as kind of their play action weapon 
on some of those boots earlier in the year when they ran that. A lot of them later, to your point, they kind of got out in space more when they put him in as a fullback. So, you know, I think Bellinger has is, is going to be an important part of this offense uh, in terms of filling that true Y role. Uh, the same way Waller will be kind of like wide receiver slash tight end. Bellinger is going to be tight end slash H back slash fullback. And then you can, you know, mix and match your personnel groups to kind of achieve what you want to do and get the matchups you want against the defenses. Yeah, it's going to be great to see. We have some, the Giants have so many options now, so there's going to be different formations. And obviously the pre-snap motion is still going to be a big factor here, which we know with Kafka, which I'm excited about. Let me ask you about another player, John. He's, in my opinion, the biggest X factor for the Giants this season by far. It's Evan Neal, their first round pick from last year. I just want to ask you your overall valuation of his rookie season. And, and in your mind, from what you saw, what need, not only what needs to be fixed, but do you think this is something where that we could kind of see like similar to what we saw with Andrew Thomas. And it won't be the same because Andrew Thomas, honestly, in the back end of his rookie season did make major strides, which maybe Neil didn't make, but just in the sense that you see the big jump happen with Evan Neal as soon as this year. Well, for one, I think Evan Neal is to be healthy. Um, I think he was banged up as all, you know what, at the end of last year. Um, I think that led to a lot of his balance issues. You saw in a lot of these plays where, he had to pivot on an outside leg and went back inside, and he just couldn't really push off of it. And it looked ugly at times, to be honest with you. And he'd he tell you that he didn't play as well as he wanted to. You know, I think Andrew Thomas early in his rookie year, he was getting beat inside a lot. That had to do with the fact when he was at Georgia, he was always protected inside, so he didn't have to worry about that. And that wasn't the way – that's not the way the NFL works. So it took him a while to adjust to that. Once he did, he, he got much better, to your point. You know, Evan Neal, I think – a health, I think that really is important. And I think I think it's just reps. You know, he was my highest rated tackle in that year's draft class because I love the combination of his power in the run game. And I think he was good in the run game. And then I think just his overall size. I know there was a criticism out there that he was on the ground too much at Alabama. I frankly watched a lot. We went back and I watched it again. I'm like, I don't see it. So maybe I just wasn't I, I, I wasn't watching the right game. So I could be wrong about that. But I, I think he's gonna be good. Um, I think it's just reps. Um, I don't know if the jump's going to be as quick as Andrew Thomas, because to your point, we did see more progress from Thomas at the end of his rookie year than we saw from Neil. But, you know, one thing Giant fans have been kind of freaking out about, I'm sure they do with you guys too, the interior offensive line, the interior offensive line, you got to get it better. It wasn't good enough. And look, yeah, you want to see improvement there, but the bigger issues of pass protection were right tackle. If yeah. you watch the end of the year, that that's where they had the biggest issues uh, that in stunts. Um, and twist that was more earlier in the year, but look, Evan Neal's got to be better. And they drafted him early in, in, in the draft. And I do think for defensive linemen and offensive linemen, there is a learning curve in the NFL. I mean, Dexter Lawrence looked like a disappointing draft pick until last year. And now all of a sudden he looks like maybe the giants best draft pick in the last 10 years. <laughs> so it, it took all of one year to, to, to change the conversation on that. So I think as Evan Neal continues to develop, there's no reason to think he can't get better. Are there any guarantees in this world? Absolutely not. Progress is not linear. Uh, he could be good for a few games, and he can have some struggles, and he can improve again. So uh, I think there's a long way to go. You would like to see, I think, more consistent play for him. But again, I think a lot of that – look, we're never going to know about health stuff. I don't know about health stuff. All I know is that Howard Cross, who knows a lot about blocking, watched him from the sideline every game, and he would say in my ear during every game, not on the air, so I know he's not you know, doing the spin on me. He goes, John, that dude does not look like he's healthy in his lower body. He just doesn't yeah. to him. And he would tell me that again and again. And, I, and I'll believe Howard because he knows what that looks like as a guy that kind of lived in the trenches for 15 years in the league. So I think that alone will, will help him improve this year. And look, I've already seen him in the building. Like he's cares. He's working on it. This is not a situation where, you know, I don't want to, I don't, where other past offensive linemen that you had high hopes for maybe weren't doing everything you needed to do in the offseason. Um, Evan Neal is, and he really, really cares and he's hard on himself and he's a perfectionist. So I think his technique will get better because of that. And I think that's why I have so much confidence that, uh, we will see some steady progress this year from him and they need it. It's a really interesting nugget from Howard Cross. I really like that. So hopefully for you guys listening and we, we have, we have expectations as well. So we'll see what happens there, but, um, definitely some great insight there. Thanks, John. Yeah. He's a conscientious individual. So I'm hoping that he can really get up to speed. I'm Remain high on him. He was my tackle one as well. I have one question about a position group that Dan and I have some concern about, and the Giants invested 
a lot of capital into it recently, and that is the edge position. They draft Aziz Ojolari at 50 in the 2021 draft. Last year, Kayvon Thibodeau at five. And I feel really comfortable with those two as starters, even though Aziz, maybe he's not the best run defender, but he just needs to stay healthy. But there's little depth behind the edge group. Do you see at all, if the Giants do create any cap space in some way, them going out and maybe bringing in another veteran at the edge position to help round out that specific position group? Because it's just really Jihad Ward, who is 290 pounds and really little else behind them, unless Ellerson Smith is also healthy. Yeah, I think the team likes Taman Fox, too. Whenever you yep. talk to people on the coaching staff, they're like, don't forget Taman Fox. He came out then the last year. He did a nice job. So I think that's another name Giant fans should kind of keep an eye on. But look, I think they were open to taking another edge rusher in this draft if one was available and worth the bang for the buck when they picked. And I just don't think it worked out that way with the way the board fell. Um, but yeah, I agree. Especially with Aziz Ojolari's injury history, I think you want to have a little bit more beef out there. I do like the Ward Ojolari rotation on pass and rundowns where you kind of, you know, you take advantage of each one's strengths uh, in, in that situation. And I hope Kayvon Thibodeau is a little bit more consistent too, because if you look at a lot of his you know, sacks and quarterback hits last year, a lot of them came on unblocked pressures and you didn't get enough of those, you know, one-on-one -on -one beating an offensive tackle. You got him more at the end of the year again, when he got healthier, which I think was a, was a big deal for him. But I would expect, you know, I talked about the, the, the learning curve for upfront players. I think he'll get a lot better this year, but yeah, it would not shock me, but I think they need to do work with the cap and there are ways to do it too, right? You have Saquon Barkley. Uh, if you could figure out a long-term deal with him, Leonard Williams, you can extend him or rework that deal, put void years, you know, something like that. Uh, Dexter Lawrence on a potential long-term deal. So there are different ways you can do it. Um, but yes, I would not be surprised if we saw some type of addition at edge because you're right. You know, I, I do think you don't have a ton of experienced pass rush past Ojolari and Thibodeau. I want to ask you, John, about a couple position groups that are going to work interchangeably. And the question I'll ask after that about what, how the giants are going to do something. So it's the inside, it's the off ball linebacker group and the safety group. And one thing that Nick and I have been pounding the table for for a while, and we didn't get it this class, one day we will get it, uh, is it kind of one of those off-ball linebackers with a lot of upside in the pass coverage game. Uh, but one thing we saw toward the end of the season was Xavier McKinney start to come down and play those tight ends in the slot. And I'm curious to get your take on if we might see more of that this year or if maybe the expectation in your mind is maybe Cordell Flott now because they have Deontay Banks can slide into that well, I'm just curious because to me, that role is still an area where the Giants have had some issues in coverage with Darnay Holmes. Um, and we love Darnay Holmes for his ability to drive downhill on the line of scrimmage and stop those screens and that type mm -hmm. of stuff. But in coverage, it hasn't been exactly what, what we've maybe hoped for, Nick and I. And to me, that is a starting position in the NFL, being able to defend the slot. Not only a starting position, at sometimes it's the most important position on the defense because a lot of offenses run through the slot, not only in the slot vert game with the vertical plane, but also you know in that intermediate range with the two-way go. So what is kind of your expectation for how the Giants will match up against the bigger slots and the tight ends, but also kind of those smaller guys? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think you're going to see Cordo Flott against tight ends because they will just – yeah, you know, obliterate him in the line of scrimmage. I, I just, you know, he's 165 pounds. I don't think that's going to work. Um, but look, against wide receivers, I think it's an open competition. Um, to your point, I think Darnay Holmes had some moments last year and good and bad. And you have Cordell Flott in that spot. I think you can see Bobby McCain in that spot too. You know, remember, he, he, they signed him as a safety, but he played an awful lot of slot with Washington. I know they said he's a safety here, but yeah, well, yeah guess what? The Giants put their safeties in the slot. So right. I think he'll have a chance to compete there. I think that was probably one of the reasons they brought him in. The question is, if you put McKinney there, do you trust somebody else to play that deep center field role? Because if you're going to play more, you remember the Giants went to more zone at the end of the year last year when they faced better passing attacks. You know, are you going to see more press man? And if that's the case, that single high safety is huge because that is your only line of defense back there if you're playing cover one. So you have to have someone down there that you trust. And I think it's McKinney. Without Julian Love here, who I think you you know you did trust to at least mentally make the right choices back there, you know who's your other over the top safety? So, you know I think in spots yes, but do you have that single high spot figured out in order to do that? But yeah, I think against wide receivers now, I think Flot will compete with Holmes. He'll have a chance to win that job. Bobby McCain will be in the mix as your veteran fail safe at that spot, which is why I think they signed them. And I think that's what you'll look at because you know I agree. I think. If you remember the two Dallas games last year, whenever Dallas needed a big play, what was it? It was CeeDee Lamb against the slot. They'll go to him every time. And the Jets and the Giants this year play a much tougher schedule. You know, last year, in terms of passing offenses they faced, it was very soft. They did not face a lot of elite passers and pass catchers over the course of the year. Just look at the AFC East. It's a freaking nightmare. 
All right. It's, 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 it's a whole different ball game this year. So yes, I think they will have to be better in that spot. I agree. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on Dane Belton because Dane Belton was drafted early on day three. And yeah, I, I was going to bring him up as somebody that can guard tight ends, by the way, hundred percent. Yeah. Someone who can guard tight ends. And I think Jason Pinnock is in that same type of mold. I don't know if you can trust either of those guys to play the post, to play the single high role. And that does kind of limit what you can do with Xavier McKinney. If you want to align him on the line of scrimmage, if you're going to have a safety deep, I wanted to ask you about one player before we get you out of here, John, and thank you so much for your time. Aaron Robinson. First off, is he going to be healthy? Do we have any information on him? Because when don't he was yet. coming, still don't know yet. When he was coming out of school, I always felt like he projected better in the slot. We saw him in the slot on the boundary as well in his rookie season, got hurt last year after everyone was discussing how he was going to be a boundary cornerback. But that's one another player that I think could at least be in the mix if he's healthy enough to, to compete for the slot role. Yeah, look, I'll just answer that quickly. And I have time for a couple more if you guys want. But like for me... I think that's one of those guys where if he now contributes, you're happy. I don't think you're yeah. in a position coming off a serious injury like that and multiple injuries where you can count on him. So that's kind of how I view him. Fair enough, John. Actually, we're going to get out of here right now because yep. I got I got to run as well. But thank you so much for, for joining us, John. And I want to, since we didn't get a chance to do this at the beginning, and I think the reason is because everybody kind of knows already the answers, but there are new listeners. You never know. And it's always good to get exposure out there. So let the people know where they can find all of your work and where they can follow you as well. Social. No, I appreciate that. So, uh, giants.com. Um, I know people say it works for the team. They must just, you know, you know, spout, you know, propaganda the whole time. We, we, we try not to. Um, and I, we're, we, we never say anything we don't believe is true and we're honest about things. Now we're going to go trash people. No, that's not what we're going to do. I'll be honest with you because these guys, I walk down the hall, they're there. I'm not going to trash guys that I see every day at work. I'm not a jerk, but we'll be honest about what we see on the field. Um, we do really good analysis. Our draft coverage, I think is second to none. Uh, big blue kickoff live. It's live every day, 1230 to 130. Uh, even in the off season, Monday through Friday, myself, Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino, uh, Howard Cross and Jonathan Casillas have been great additions to the show, I think, to give a player's perspective. Uh, check that out. Giants Huddle Podcast is our interview podcast, different guests every week. Uh, Connor Rogers is coming up. Uh, if it's not posted already, it should be shortly to kind of do a review of the Giants draft class. Uh, and then we have draft season, which is our new podcast this year. We have a couple episodes to go, and then we're taking a hiatus until August. Tony Pauline, who's a really great draft analyst, he's done it, you know, 20 plus years, longer than anyone, uh, except for Mel Kuyper. And, um, <laughs> Check that out. You can find them all. Just search for the podcast on your favorite podcast platform uh, or go to Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants app. You can find it all there. All right. Thanks again, John, for joining us. Everyone else, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.